0: aim a little higher episode 25
1: so for me kilimanjaro i wanted to go to the top of africa and declare to say that i'm going to be a part of this journey and i'm looking to push myself beyond measures to make sure that we achieve a collective vision that we see for the future and but for me to really get to that place where my words mean something to me i need to do something which is going to challenge me physically mentally and emotionally You are locked into a little higher podcast where we interview inspirational individuals every Monday and Wednesday and answer your questions every Saturday to help turn your potential into results. I know you're going to dig this. Introducing your host. He was an Olympic torchbearer, Pete Jones's National Entrepreneur of the Year and motivational speaker. Kamal
0: Hyman. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Aim a Little Higher podcast. It's your boy Kamal Hyman here, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest. Today's guest was born in Sierra Leone and migrated to London with his family when he was a young child. He was used to being at the bottom of his class, having failed primary and secondary school. However, he was able to give himself a new beginning and set his sight on a bachelor's degree. In his final year, he was placed in the top 7% of his peers, thus being considered best in business, and became a lifetime member of Beta Gamma Sigma, the premier honor society recognising business excellence in university. He is qualified as a chartered accountant and provides advisory services to companies in troubled financial situations. He was a finalist for the 2014 Black British Awards, recognised as a future leader in 2010, and has started various social and for-profit ventures whilst exploring the world. He is the CEO of Go Getters, managing director of Synergy and Partners, and sits on the advisory board of Meridian entrepreneurs. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce Aliyu Fofana to the show. Aliyu, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, it's a pleasure.
0: Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you very much for appearing. And before we before we even get started, you have just come down from the clouds in, in the most literal sense <laughs> possible. Uh, you've just finished climbing Kilimanjaro.
1: Yeah. And wow. It was an epic experience.
0: I mean, what does it take for a man to climb Kilimanjaro? Like, That's the, that's the highest mountain in Africa, right?
1: Yeah, highest peak in Africa.
0: Damn, what does it take to do that? Like, you can't just wake up one day and decide next week, you know, I'm going to do something big. How how far out did you have to plan ahead?
1: You know, it's funny. Um, so I probably didn't... First of all, it wasn't even my idea. First of all, it was one of my friend's ideas, and he said, let's go and climb it. And I said, okay, how about we do it for New Year's? So that's where the, the, the story started. And then he pulled out um, around, what, November? And we were meant to start climbing in December. So then four weeks before I was meant to leave, I actually had lunch at work. And I was speaking to somebody random. You know, I see him around the office. I was letting him know that I was climbing Kilimanjaro. And I was cheeking. And I said, oh, do you want to come with me? And he said, yeah. So <laughs> I, for me, I probably made the decision two months yeah, two months beforehand, two and a half months or so, and I bought my equipment and I started to do I tried to walk towards walk to work every morning to practice, but for him it was four weeks of a decision.
0: Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Talk about zero to one hundred real quick. Yeah. From so two and a half months out, you decide you're gonna climb the biggest peak in Africa and then your partner four weeks. Mad. What do you have to do to prepare for that?
1: Well, It's really rigorous training around, first of all, just getting used to your boots. So if you're not used to your boots, you're going to get 101 blisters. So first of all, you need to wear in your boots. Second of all, the biggest thing which is going to attack you is going to be the altitude. So if you get altitude sickness, that's going to just completely knock you out. And altitude sickness affects different people in different ways. And the best way to actually acclimatize to the lack of oxygen is to go and climb smaller peaks beforehand. But with me making a decision so short in advance, I didn't have time to go to maybe a Snowdonia to acclimatise there, maybe to go to other mountain peaks to acclimatise. So then I had to take um, some Dymox tablets, which you can get from your GP, um, which help you with the altitude. But the only thing about that, that also has side effects. Um, So I had a lot of heartburn along the way, stomach problems, that... Um, so, yeah, so for me, overall, when you're thinking about somewhere like Kilimanjaro, it's just doing a whole bunch of research to understand what are the actual risks, what physically, how, how primed you need to be. And to be honest, physically, you don't need to be the fittest person because the walk, as they say in um, Swahili, is pole pole. That means slowly, slowly. Okay. So as long as you go slow, you're going to make it there. So it's more of, of a case of how your body is going to react to altitude. So some people towards the top might start to lose their eyesight. Wow. wow who came along with me started coughing up blood i mean he fainted twice oh my gosh um other people and um, they start getting a severe headache um which can make you pass out so it really depends on you as an individual how your body is going to acclimatize and how your body is going to react so for that particular side of things it's very hard to um to know what's going to happen unless you climb smaller peaks beforehand
0: Okay, and was this your first like peak climb ever? First ever peak climb. <laughs> you didn't start small, man. Started with the biggest one. <laughs> Crazy. But what's what's the motivation behind it? Because you know, generally, if someone asked me to climb the biggest peak in Africa, my answer would be no. So, so <laughs> what, what's the what's the motivation behind it? That like, there's got to be a, a stronger reason.
1: There was a few different um, reasons. The first being I wanted to. I heard about a community of people who are raising money to build a bridge um, in Sierra Leone. And the bridge was to a place called Bintumani Mountain. And Bintumani Mountain is the highest peak in Sierra Leone and is the highest peak in West Africa after Mount Cameroon. And the bridge connects the local people who live on that side of the mountain to the mainland. Currently, there's only a rope bridge which connects um, the mainland to those people. And if you're pregnant, if, the, if, the, if, the, if it's raining season, it's extremely difficult to cross the bridge and it's very, uh, very dangerous. Wow. Um, and also, if this bridge was actually built, it increased the tourism to Sierra Leone to go and see kind of a, um, a place of heritage in terms of the mountain. So when I was hearing about this and then my friend came up with the idea to climb Kilimanjaro, I kind of connected the two dots together. But then on top of that, it was a personal thing um for throughout my life I always give myself different goals so when I'm in uni I wanted to get a first and one of the key reasons why I wanted to get a first is because my mum the year before got 2-1 and the reason why that's significant because she had me at the age of 18 so she stopped education a long time back mm-hmm. so for her to then kick back kick start, and do university and graduate with a 2-1 I thought to myself no I definitely need to get that first class mm-hmm. and then on top of that after graduating, I wanted to work for one of the biggest firms. So I started working towards that. I achieved that in the end. Worked for one of the biggest accountancy firms, qualified. So again, it came to thinking 2016, what do I want to achieve and what do I want to do? And throughout the last three years, I'd visited several African countries, seeing where what's happening on the ground in South Africa, Kenya, Rwanda, Ghana, Nigeria, meeting different entrepreneurs and seeing how they were changing the continent. And I really wanted to be a part of that. But I didn't always know how I was going to be a part of it. So for me, Kilimanjaro, I wanted to go to the top of Africa and declare to say that I'm going to be a part of this journey and I'm looking to push myself beyond measures to make sure that we achieve a collective vision that we see for the future. And But for me to really get to that place where my words mean something to me, I need to do something which is going to challenge me physically, mentally and emotionally. So what could that be? well, let's go to the top of Africa. And why about we just do it at the beginning of the year? So with those thoughts in mind, in terms of my personal ambition and also supporting and raising money for this um, community who are building the bridge, those are the two um, key things which really pushed me to climb Kili.
0: Powerful, man. That is powerful. And I love what you're saying about doing it for yourself and that self-discipline to say, I don't just want to give words that aren't valuable. I need to prove my value by... Doing stuff that makes me uncomfortable physically, mentally, probably emotionally too. And that's powerful, man. I think a powerful message for listeners to take away that when you set a goal, don't just set a, a fluffy goal that sounds good. Have a real strong reason behind it. And it sounds like you hit that nail straight on the head. So no, that's an awesome achievement, man. And the Aim A Little Higher movement, it's all about setting solid foundations. You know, we're telling people don't don't chase your dreams, but build them. So... We want to take it back. We want to go back to your foundation because, you know, bachelor's degree, top 7%, climbing Kilimanjaro, all these different companies is amazing. But we want to find out how your personal brand started. So let's go right back. What were you like as a young child?
1: What was I like? Well, I would always say I was the I was the good guy and I was quiet. But some people might give you a different <laughs> persona who I am. Um, because it's interesting because in certain situations, I'll be the most quiet person. So if we're in class, you know, I don't speak much. But if I'm comfortable around my friends, then you see my personality come out. So as a child, it was a mixture. If you ask my parents, they'll say I was a very good child. Like I hardly ever got in trouble. There was any there was hardly any bad news about me. So I was and I was always looking to do the best I could for them or or hide the fact if I did anything wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to me. <laughs> Keep that um, brand with them clean. <laughs> and it was interesting because as as a young man, I wouldn't say I was I was super ambitious or I was super saying I want to be, you know, I want to take over things. I want to be the top in this. Um, I was always kind of just laid back and moderate to a certain degree. And it only got to the point where it was year 11 in secondary school. That's where things really changed. Now, to, for you to understand how things change, you need to take a step back to when I was in primary school. So I wasn't born here. So when I came to, to the UK and I started primary school, I was doing really badly. And by the time I left year six, I'd failed pretty much all of my exams. I'm talking about English. I think I got a level two. And you could, you can't even get a level two. I don't even know how it's possible you get a level two in English, right? And then in math, I think I had a level three. So then when I was trying to get into secondary schools, I got rejected from every single one. And I'm seeing all my good friends going into secondary school, some of them down the road from my house, some of them a bit further from my house, and each and every single one rejected me. Wow. And as a young man, that scarred me hard. I can imagine. So then when it got to secondary school now in, in year 11, finally looking into colleges to go in, go to, and I remember I went to Richmond College, SFX, um, St. Charles, and I was thinking, whoa, some of these colleges are really nice and I really want to get into them. And I remember looking at my grades, and I, I was thinking I was an E grade in maths at the time, and I needed a B to really get into the three I wanted to get into. And then I spoke to my math teacher and he told me um, the most likely grade I could get was a C. I can't skip from an E to a D to a, to a B. It's not going to happen. And that's when a, a fire lit inside me to say, no, there's no way you're telling me I'm not going to get into the college I, I need to get into. What happened to me in primary school is not going to happen to me again this time around.
0: Okay. So
1: that's when that, that really triggered to say, I'm going to work towards this like I've never worked towards it before. If you don't believe I can do it, and I have no idea if I can't do it, but guess what? I'm going to put every blood, sweat, and tears Mm -hmm. into trying to make it happen. So I spoke to my parents. They got me a tutor. I started, like, weekends doing homework, doing revision After school, I was on a – I've never been so disciplined in my life and so hungry to learn. So even things which I found uncomfortable that I wasn't sure about, I wanted to learn it because I knew if after I overcame that, I'll do better in the exam. And in the end, even though I was studying intermediate maths and intermediate maths, the highest you can get is a B. So to get that I think you need to be hitting 80, 90 percent or so. And I got the B in the end. So that was probably the first lesson which taught me that once you apply yourself, And once you're hungry for it and you know there's a bigger purpose for why you're going after it, you'd be willing to go over and beyond. And us as human beings, we have the capacity to always learn. It just depends on do you want to learn and are you willing to go at it, like really go at it. And I think that that was probably the changing point in my life in terms of how how I thought I could achieve things.
0: Powerful, powerful. And I love the fact that you made that decision that, you know what, my past doesn't need to determine my future that you you had the almost the guts or or the 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 forward thinking to say actually i'm not going to repeat that lesson i'm not going to make that defy me i'm going to set a new standard for myself and then went out and did that and that's so powerful especially for you to turn to your parents and tell them you're raising your standards you know for most of us it's the other way around i know for me (laughs) the change in school was after a serious conversation with my dad so that's powerful man and in the end what education route did you take because you know you said you didn't do great at uh, primary school So by the time we got to secondary school You were able to turn it around What what was next?
1: Well turn it around kind of So I left secondary school with three F's Three E's a um, Three C's and two B's So I got a B in maths so A B in science and a C in English so I only passed those three subjects Okay. And then with that Then I got to um, college um, So college The first year I did really well And one of the key reasons why I done well Is because I started to hang around with um, Well I still had like my, I guess my, my normal friends who I would say a bit more laid back, music, and trying to just do things as they go. But at the same time, I had a new group of friends who were, they were really on point. They wanted to go to Oxford. They wanted to go to Cambridge, Warwick. Okay. So they had a site. So in terms of how they how they revised and how they did other things, does being around them changed my mentality in terms of what you need to be doing to hit certain grades? So in my A level, my AS, I did really well. I think I left with three A's and a B. But in A2, I think I got way too comfortable and then everything was slipped down to B's. And I studied business and management, well, no, business and economics, accounting, and sociology for my A-levels. And then I got into Aston University went to Aston, studied business management, specialized in economics and accounting. And even from there, the, 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 the mindset that I could do it was already put inside me now. Mm-hmm. so from from there on it was just always trying to strive so I remember I got a high 2-1 in my first year second year I got uh, I got a first um, third year I got a 2-1 again in my final year overall I scored a first so I left university the first
0: powerful powerful and I think you touched on something so vital there the people we surround ourselves with my gosh you can surround yourself with chickens or eagles and it sounds like once you got into that college level you surround yourself with some eagles who knew where they were going and automatically you have to improve, right? If yeah. you're seeing people like that every single day and they're becoming your peer group, you have to raise your game to even be able to like fit into that circle and hang around with them. So I think that's a really clever decision you made there and one that our listeners, if there's something you want to do well in, something you want to achieve, and you can see a circle of people who are mastering that craft or really passionate and going for that craft, you need to jump into that circle and start surrounding yourself with people like that so that's awesome and was it part of being with them that did change that mentality because i know you said from that point you were just driven like you were almost competitive with it
1: yeah being around them definitely showed me um i guess one of my key lessons around is not working hard is working smart so mm-hmm. i started to see what they did and how they'll build relationships with the, the lecturers and how the lecturers then respond to them a lot better in terms of when they're asking questions or when they're trying to figure out how to craft their coursework. So I try to see that actually in life there's, there's working hard, but also there's understanding the game in terms of how there's other ways to really um, utilize the entire situation to fix things to your advantage. Um, so then even in uni, I really started to use strategies of having different work groups with the smartest people in class making sure, even if I didn't need to see the lecturer, that I'll have time with the lecturer every two weeks just to catch up on what I'm doing. Because I know just that personal insight will give me um, new avenues of looking into maybe different kind of books, which will then allow me to achieve a better grade. So it's just understanding that there are different ways to learn. Just because you're in a lecture, and then they tell you to read this chapter and that's all you've done, then you're not going to really score that highly at all is understanding what other people are doing, understanding um, what the lecturer thinks you can do on top, and then you using your own ingenuity and thinking, how else could I um, top this up even further? Powerful, powerful. I love that.
0: Especially the relationships thing. I think people need to understand these lecturers aren't lecturers for no reason. They had to earn it and they had to have achieved something themselves. So to go and build relationships with them, is going to help you even more. And like you said, even things as simple as how they answer your questions in class. If you're someone who's built a relationship with them, they're going to go a little bit deeper into it with you. And they'll be more likely to answer your question. Whereas if you if you just turn up and leave, turn up and leave, there's no relationship there. So they'll, they'll probably just answer it, you know, as in a minimal way. So, yeah, that's massively powerful, man. And the whole work smart, not hard is amazing. People need to start working smart, not working hard. And like you say, surround yourself with people who know what they're doing, figure out their strategies, figure out the little things they're doing to aim a little higher (laughs) and get better results. That's massive. What was your first job?
1: My first job? My first job was working in uh, Marks & Spencer in the the operations part. So just sorting out the food, sorting out the stock and things around that. And I did that over the summer, um, way back, way back when.
0: Okay. And can you think of any significant or surprising achievements from your life that have helped you on your journey? But maybe at the time it didn't seem like such a big deal?
1: Um, The, the things which have really helped have been the things which I haven't achieved, but the things which have dragged me down. Oh. So when something, I'm a type of person where if you pull me down, it's like you're pulling on a string and I'm going to shoot back up r- harder. And you pull me down again, I'm on a string, I'm going to shoot back up even harder. Um, because my my mindset is push me down and i will get back up so i guess the the times of my life is when i failed and when i've tried to learn from that failure and i've gone at it even harder so for example in in second year of university we have a four-year um four-year course and the third year you have to take a gap year so you have to take a placement um for a company and i remember i was telling everyone that i'm going to leave with first and i'm also going to work for one of the biggest companies. So I started applying for several different companies. I think I went through, I don't know, if, over 100 or 100 or so applications, um, 30, 40 or so interviews, probably like 10 to 15 assessment centers, rejection, rejection, rejection. So many rejections over the period of nine months. And then by the time it got to um, July and uni was going to start again in September, I would have had to basically redo my year because it's compulsory that you have to get a placement. And at that point, even the placements available in my university were already taken up by people who hadn't found a placement. Wow. So I was ultimately didn't know where I was going. But the it's like the closer it got to the end in terms of what I could apply for, there was less jobs to apply for, the more focused I was. It, it was just... I, I, I lived, breathed, and ate applications. Give me an application is finished in an hour. I used to do maybe four to five applications in a day, sending it out, going to interviews, just knowing all my, my answers. Some, and it got to a stage where I expected to get rejected. But I didn't let my expectation um, kill my drive to still get the job. So I might expect to to, to not get the job, But I'm in there trying to get the job as hard as I can. Nothing else is going to hold me back. Because after so many rejections, it's hard for you to see the light. So the only light that I could control is the fact that I'm going to give it my best shot. I can't control what the outcome is going to be. I can only control what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do when I'm in that interview room. So I went at it and at it and at it. And I remember it was um, PWC. Um, who are one of the companies I first applied for when I first started looking for a placement and they rejected me off the back of my application form. Um, but six months later, you could reapply for them. So I reapplied for them. But then by that time, I had tried to build up different relationships with different um, kind of recruiters from different firms. So that way, if, if I need to try to get some feedback or something, I can try to ask them, you know, what did I do wrong last time? Spoke to them, found out what I did wrong the first time in terms of my application, Um, I changed the answers around. Um, So to cut a long story short, I got the job with PwC on the 1st of August, whereas a month, um, (laughs) if I would have waited a month more, I would have to repeat that. (laughs) Wow. Um, Cut it fine. That lesson in terms of, I just thought I was going to get a placement. And then throughout the time of going for more and more interviews, I actually saw how much I improved compared to where I was the first time around. So even if I, if I was to get a job the first time around, believe me, my interview technique would not be as good as it is right now if it wasn't for all those lessons learned. Yeah. Now I just feel like a lean, mean, fighting interview machine. <laughs> um, I know exactly. Like they, they say, what's that? Smart. So um, is it the star? Situation, task, action, result. Okay. The way I used to break down a, an answer in five minutes, they are just like, whoa, you gave me so much in such a condensed style. And that's because it took me months of practice powerful man so those are the for me those moments of failure is what is what has made me into what who i am today so those points of learning and always taking things as a learning experience and i guess the key thing for me it always comes down to how badly do i want it right? um with with secondary school there was i i didn't know i was gonna get the b but i had no fear anymore because i wanted it so bad that it didn't matter what my teacher said. It didn't matter what my parents wanted. It didn't matter what anybody else wanted. I knew I want to get this. So all hopes of fear or my friends are going to be thinking, oh, why are you being such a buff and why are you studying all the time? That all went yeah. out the window. doesn't matter I anymore. I what I want to get. There's no, there's no holding me back. Um, and that's the same thing which happened with the applications. I knew what I wanted. And I was going after it until I got it. Um, and if I didn't get it, I'm still going to continue to go after it until that day comes where I'm at a level that people can see that, yeah, he can now qualify to get that. Um, if that meant two years later, I would still have to be um, refining different... So when you apply for these jobs, they look for what have you volunteered? what what How have you shown leadership? Mm, so what have you
0: done to stand, to, stand
1: out? Yes. Exactly. So once I started to see that certain things they were looking for, I just didn't have. And because growing up, I just didn't get involved in that many things. Then throughout those nine months, instead of me just doing the same thing and not learning from it, I started doing more things. On the sideline, I started an entertainment business. So that way they can... What, what are you, how are you a leader? Well, I've got my own business. Bang! I'm trying to finance this part of my university. Oh, how have you shown good customer service? I also work part-time. How are you showing this? I also do this. Powerful. So as soon as I got knocked back, because some people... Let me not compare other people. I guess when when you get knocked back you have, you have a choice you get knocked back find out why you got knocked back and try to improve on it or you can just take on the feedback and do the same thing again to the other company mm-hmm. i was actively improving every time i got knocked back
0: powerful and you learn more lessons from your failure than your success i guess
1: yeah which are ah,
0: so powerful and it's so true about these interviews it's all good coming out with fluffy words like i have leadership skills yes i'm a great team player yes i have i have customer service skills but it's fluffy But when you turn around, like you say, yes, I've got a job at Marks and Spencers. I deal with customers every day. Yes, I've got my own business. I'm a leader in that. So much more powerful, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And then sometimes it even comes to the um, place of even being proud of understanding your own story. Because at the beginning, I didn't really articulate good enough the things I was doing to align with what they were looking for. So even that took a bit of a lesson. In terms of, I actually have some of these skills already, but I wasn't analysing the things I've done in the past as the same kind of skills they're looking for.
0: Mm-hmm. Got you, got you. But only after the, the experience of the failures and stuff, could you take an almost objective look at it. Yeah. And say, what went wrong? How could I do better? How, what, would I, what would my life need to look like to be able to answer that question to the best of my ability? Yeah. And yeah. That's, ah, powerful, man, powerful. And we're going to go step on into the rapid round real quick, where I'm going to chuck a bunch of questions at you. you just answer them as honestly as you can.
1: Yeah. All right. The first
0: one, what time do you wake up?
1: Um, this week has been around 5.30 a.m. Most weeks is around 7.
0: Okay. What's one thing you do in the morning to guarantee a productive day?
1: I can go jogging or I can have a meditation.
0: Nice. How long do you meditate for?
1: Um, right now around 20 minutes.
0: Nice, nice. I'm just getting into it. So i am always asking people when they're meditating, what their meditation, <laughs> what their meditation practice is. So that's awesome. If you could be any animal, which would you be and why?
1: I could think I'd be an eagle. Um, just because the other day when I was reading an eagle quote, just being, is their ability to see a storm coming, but then be able to go above these clouds to see everything else in a holistic manner. And uh, just their, their long vision in terms of how far they can see and how they can target a prey for um for for distances oh
0: that's powerful pa- i love eagles man that is powerful what's your favorite dessert
1: um a it'll probably have to be a a, a brownie on vanilla ice cream but on a very hot pot so it's like one of those melting sizzling brownies and yeah
0: vanilla ice cream. now we're talking <laughs> now we're talking can you name one thing you couldn't go without
1: Oh, one thing I couldn't go without—my um, Sierra food. I love my Sierra food. Okay, what's what's your what's the dish?
0: What's that like native dish that that's, that um you're known for in Sierra Leone?
1: Uh, There's just too many. Um, what's so your favorite? I have, to, I have to put like two. So it has to be probably like the cassava leaves or the or the or the crane crane. So these are kind of like um, green leaves which are cut up, and you have different spices um yeah pe- it's quite it's quite peppery as well depending on who's making it okay yeah sounds and a sort of different meat um so with with cerulean food you never just have just beef or you just have pork or you just have chicken you kind of have everything in one nice that um, was some rice
0: <laughs> very nice you're at a karaoke bar what's yeah. your
1: go-to song oh what's my go-to song oh gosh i'm living a karaoke guy um um for some reason, Will Smith is coming into my head and it's nearly singing Men in Black for some reason. So, okay, <laughs> I can see that.
0: I've I no, no idea why that's coming into my head. head. Like, Fair enough. Quick... Tell us something most people don't know about you.
1: Um, what the most people don't know? Um, so I've got white hair, but it grows on one side of my face, so only on my left side. Okay, <laughs> I did not know that.
0: <laughs> What's your most effective daily habit?
1: My most effective daily habit. Um, is to always do thing is to always know that the actions I take, I'm in control of those actions and anything which is not out which is out of my control, just letting it go and not stressing about it. Nice. And I feel that with that in terms of stress, in terms of controlling your own happiness and other things, it's just a lot more in your power. Ah,
0: oh, I love that man. If it's if it's out of your control, let it go beautiful what's your biggest distraction
1: um probably my my phone so whatsapp so at at work i'll switch off my data on my phone okay (laughs) airplane mode yeah literally no airplane mode because text messages and phone calls are fine because you don't get that many anymore it's more whatsapp facebook and you you know when you see that little flashing light Ah, what is it what is it (laughs) Exactly. then you have to check um, so I'm an addict to doing that, so I literally just switch off the data so at least people can call me or text me if they need me.
0: Powerful. A time machine is created. It can take only take you backwards and it can't bring you back. But you keep all the knowledge you have now. You're taken back to your 18th birthday, so knowing what you know now, what are the first three things you would do?
1: First three things? Oh, nice. I'll, I'll go and meet um, Mark Zuckerberg and join the team on Facebook. Nice. <laughs> um, I would... Well, one of my one of my friend's younger brothers, he got attacked and then he, he sadly passed away. So I'd definitely make sure I save him. Um, and I would... Hmm, I'm not sure what the third one would be, actually. I tried to live without that many regrets. Um,
0: nice, nice. That's the way to go. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, for yeah. audience members who are listening and thinking they want to get to where you are today, what are three things, three little habits or three actions they could do right now?
1: Right now, well, I guess right now they could outline what they wanted to do and figure out what's the quickest way to test it. Um, So I'll give you an example. I said I wanted to start coaching people, so I found somebody who could coach me, and then I went to a two-day free coaching seminar. From that, I got three people to coach. From that, I had somebody who was then paying me to coach them. That took me a month and a half, two months to look into that and see if it's something I want to invest more time and money into. So I guess let's talk more action, figure it out and start taking deliberate actions to get it done. Nice. Um, another thing is find out when you figure out what you want to do, find out where people who are similar to you, who are already doing that, already chill out, already hang and start hanging with them. That's the quickest way to really build up and become the true you. You want to be by being around like-minded people. Powerful. And, the last thing um, I would say is really look at your habits and figure out which are your habits which are holding you back and which are your habits which are pushing you forward. And try to you know eradicate those habits which are just holding you back and try to work on more or new habits which you know will take you forward because your daily habits do definitely um tra- traject you to where you're going to be in the end.
0: Boom. Love it finally, you're still on the stage in front of 10,000 young people. You're only allowed to give one piece of advice before the men in black suits come and drag you off stage. (laughs) What would it be?
1: Oh, I would say if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So there's 10,000 of you. How many of you want to achieve what you want to achieve? How many of you on that journey? Guess what? There's a lot of you to your left, to your right who are on that similar journey. How can you work together? How can you create a synergy to really achieve what, not one man could achieve, not one woman could achieve, but what you could achieve together to create a village, to create cities, to create nations, to create things for the better, for the future. So Boom. go far to go together.
0: Love it. Love it. Aliou, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been an absolute honour to have you on the show. Before we let you go, how can our listeners get in contact with you?
1: You can follow me on Twitter. So that's at Aliou for um, Same thing on Instagram. Um, or just check out my website www.aliufofana.com. Um yeah just holla at me always happy to engage with amazing people powerful powerful
0: and all these links will be on the show notes page on the website ladies and gentlemen you can surround yourself with eagles or chickens you spent time with a true eagle Mr Fofana, and myself Kamal Hyman please continue to aim a little higher and we'll see you next time Aliu, peace thanks bro guys thank you so much for joining me on the aim a little higher podcast you could have been anywhere in the world listening to anything at all when you chose to spend time with the aim a little higher podcast and i salute you for that thank you so much now if you're listening to the show and hearing all these different amazing personal brands and you're thinking how do i build my personal brand and you're ready to stand out in this crowded world get over to www aimalittlehire.com and click that big green button that says join the tribe you will join the aim a little Higher tribe receive support motivation and most importantly a crash course in how to build your personal brand see you there. peace